This morning, I want us to, let's back up a little bit. Two weeks ago, we talked about the ownership of the church, that this church and and anybody who's a a part of a church, that the owner of the church, we said, was not the deacons, it's not the elders, it's not the pastor, it's not the staff, it's not the biggest givers, it's not the person who's been here the longest, it's not the person whose granddaddy started this church. It's Jesus' church. The church belongs to Christ, and it's his church, and he has the right to say what we do and do not do. Last week, we said that, okay, if we establish that it's Jesus' church, and he's the one that gets to be the boss of the church, then how do we know what he wants us to do? I could come in here and say, you know what? The Lord has led me that we're supposed to buy me a new truck. I feel very strongly the Lord impressing me that a a brand new 2017 Jeep is what the Lord needs us for ministry purposes for me to drive around in. And there's no, that's completely subjective. You could say, well, that's not true. But I could argue and say, well, but it is. And we could get into an uh uh uh-huh sort of situation. And so we established last week that what Jesus said and told us to do, that the source of truth, the source of authority, isn't our opinion. It isn't what we feel led. It isn't what we want. That our source of truth is God's Word. And that we are established, even as the pastor, I do not have any authority on stuff that the Bible doesn't talk about. You guys could come in and say, we want this carpet to be orange. And I could say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. But I have no authority to say that. Now, you could come in and say, well, we need to, we need to kill CR. We don't need to be doing that anymore. That's a waste of money. And I can argue from God's word that we're commanded to share the gospel. We're commanded to do things so that other people hear about the gospel. And so my authority as pastor begins and ends at God's word. And we allow God's word to be our guide. We allow God's word to him in our conscience. We follow God's word. So that's where we ended last week. So this week, what we wanted to start doing is for the next several weeks, we're going to deconstruct the things that we do in church. And we're going to ask ourselves, is that really biblical or is that just tradition? So we're going to talk about the way we sing. If some of you heard me sing, you would say that is definitely not biblical. That is not God-honoring. You need to shut up. But we're going to talk about why we sing and how we sing. We're going to talk about this ministry, the preaching ministry. Is this biblical for one man to be standing here saying, thus says the Lord? Or is, is it, should it be more of a dialogue? Should it be more of a, we switch that, we're going to talk about that. But this morning, I am... I will be honest, I am more nervous about this sermon than I am any other sermon that I preach. I, I have laughed at Garrett when Garrett preached uh, last time. He was saying, I couldn't sleep last night, and I laughed at him. He got here and went hid in the nursery. I, that's not an exaggeration. I, I, I'm like, where is Garrett? Oh, dear Lord, I haven't prepared a backup sermon, and Garrett is nowhere to be found. And I find him in there drinking Kool-Aid and eating crackers with the kids in the nursery. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just trying to get my mind right. And I laughed and laughed, and I woke up this morning at 4 o'clock, because today we're going to talk about money. <sighs> There's no subject that I would rather talk about than money. And we get uptight about money. 
Don and I were talking today, and I shared with him something, and I think I'm going to throw this in here. Now, this happened to me during one of the football games. Uh, Ann had gone somewhere with the girls, and it was just me and William and Ruthie, and we decided to splurge since Ann wasn't there, and we were going to get some wings. And so I'm looking online, and I found a, a local eating establishment that had a special, and it, there, there, it was 25 wings for $19.99. And so I called and, and ordered, and I said, I want two 25-wing orders. Now, two 25-wing orders at $19.90 each, the $20 plus $20 is $40. So I went to go pick them up. And we go into the restaurant, and the lady says, that'll be $63. And I'm like, way ho, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, you got 50 wings. And if you see on our menu here, the 50 wings, is that I'm like, no, no, I didn't get 50 wings. I got two 25 wings. And 25 wings is $19.99. And she said, well, sir, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, that's your problem, not mine, because I called it in. <laughs> and as she and I start debating, I started feeling a little bit of her rising up in me. Hey, no, you are not going to just rip me off. I got two $19.99 wings. I'm giving you $40. I'm running with the wings. <laughs> now, the difference was 5 or $6. It wasn't going to break the bank. But I was legitimately angry. Hey, you ain't stealing my $6. What's your problem? Give me a calculator. I'll show you what $19.99 plus $19.99 is. Bunch of millennials can't even add. What's your problem? <laughs> now, in hindsight, we laugh at that, and I look at that, and I don't think that's stupid. But we are sensitive about money. And the devil can use that in our life. There was a man, uh, I, I was pastoring a church, and literally his property was up against the back side of the church, and he hated the church. I, I remember doing stuff in the back and seeing him and waving, and he would cuss me under his breath. And I, I went over one day to talk to him. And I said, what, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I'm praying for you. Is there anything that the church is doing? And he told me a story about how a few, several years before, 20 years before, he had had a family member that had passed away, and he had used the church for the funeral, and six weeks later, he got a bill for $200 is what he said. That church just wanted to rip me off. So he was angry and had been angry for 20 years over that $200. And so I reached in my pocket and got my checkbook out. Remember when we used to have those? And I wrote him a check for $200 and I said, I'm sorry that that happened here. Take the money and be done with that and move on with your life. And he wouldn't take the check. It wasn't about the money. We are super sensitive about money. Jesus told us that. He said, where a man's treasure is, there is where his heart will be. And so, I don't like to talk about money. It's been done poorly for so long. You don't like me to talk about money. You don't want to hear it. But if I don't talk about it, and we don't think about it, you know what? It leaves you vulnerable in areas, and it leaves the church vulnerable in some areas. And so I want us to take this text in Colossians and break it down and let's just see what God's Word has to say about giving. Now, we know that the biblical principle of giving is often handled poorly. I have a quote from John MacArthur, and this way I don't get in trouble for saying this. 
There are some churches that you've been in and that I've been in that are preoccupied with money. It seems like everything that goes on has a dollar sign involved. The success of anything is measured by how big the offering was and no opportunity is ever lost for making appeals. And every possible and conceivable approach and gimmick is used to make those appeals effective. We've all seen that in church, haven't we? We throw a picture of some hungry naked kid up and if you'll just give $10 a week, we've seen that, right? Paul here is talking with the Philippian church about giving, and he doesn't do that from a position of his needs. He doesn't talk about what his needs are. He doesn't say, Timothy and I were hungry sometimes. He doesn't say, hey, if you don't give to us, our ministry is not going to be able to continue. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't focus on his needs. He says, in fact, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that whatever situation I am in, to be content. Now, we need to be careful about teaching from a position of need. Because, first of all, it's manipulative. And my experience has been, is I can manipulate you once or twice to give. It's not a long-term solution. And is that really how we in the body of Christ are supposed to treat each other? That I'm going to manipulate you? I'm going to use, use gimmicks and schemes to get you to give? Is that really the way for you to be blessed from giving? And the second thing is that it teaches a bad theology. It teaches that without you, God can't do what he has to do. And I'm here to tell you, I love everybody in here, but God doesn't need you or your money. That's a terrible place to start from. We need God. He didn't need us. We come from a position of humility. And so if I say, if you don't give, we're not going to be able to keep the lights on. Even though that is true. If everybody in this place stopped giving and I was just sitting here preaching to myself, we wouldn't be able to keep the lights on. But I'll even say, God doesn't need you to keep the lights on. He doesn't need me to keep the lights on as the preacher. If God is in it, then he's the builder. And so us focusing and teaching giving and talking about giving from a position of what the needs are is a stupid place to begin. And Paul doesn't do it. God's pretty smart the way that he inspired scripture. And so Paul does not focus on the situation from a position of need. The other thing, when giving is taught in the light of need, it can create an unbalanced view of church life. This is what can happen. And I've seen this happen a hundred times. If two people walk in this church, one walks through that door and walks through this door for the first time visiting the church, and one of them is wearing some Walmart blue jeans and some tore-up shoes, an old wore-out t-shirt, and the other one is dressed up, uh, you guys are going to have to help me over here. What's the shirts with the whale on it now? Who? I still hadn't heard you. Speak up! Right, I still hadn't heard it, but okay, we're going to move on because I'm not going to focus on this forever. When I was a kid, it was, well, when I was younger, it was the, it was the uh, alligator. Izod, and so Izod was all the way, if you didn't wear Izod, you were a schmuck. And then when I got to be about a senior, then the alligator got replaced by polo. Now, my mom, Nancy Harrison, ain't about to spend $30 for a shirt. 
And so she would go to Sears and get me a horse rider and say, you can't tell the difference. The horse rider would be on the wrong side and he didn't have a polo wicket, he was just riding. And you couldn't tell the difference between the two. But if somebody were to came, come in here, pull up in here, and they're wearing the whale shirt, and they're dressed nice, and they got some chacos on or something like that, and we, we, which one are we more apt to be friendly to? You see, the schmuck over here wearing his Walmart jeans can't help this church at all if we're focused on money. Whereas this guy, why, he's a lawyer, he's a doctor, he's an Indian chief. We need to bring him in because you know what? He can really love the Lord. He can support the Lord with his giving. And so if we just are focused on the need, it can create a spirit in us that says, that guy's a resource and not somebody that we can love with the gospel. And we've got to be careful of that. In fact, the Bible deals specifically with this issue in the book of James. James said this. My brothers, show no partiality, partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine, well-covered clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in also, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, hey, why don't you stand over there? Or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So, if we focus on giving from a needs position, it can pull us in the wrong direction. So, how do we focus on it? So, let's get a little background to the story. What had happened was, is Paul was on his missionary journey. He's going around from place to place to place to place. He goes to, uh, up into the area of what is modern-day Greece. And we'll just let Paul tell the story from, from the book of Corinthians. He said, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you in need, I did not burden anyone. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's saying, while I was there serving you, I would not take a penny. And other churches sent me my support. He said, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening, burdening you in that way. So Paul is in Corinth. He has needs because he wanted to eat. He wanted to buy clothes. He wanted to do the stuff that he needed to do. And so instead of taking money from those lost people that he was ministering to, the church, the people that he had led to the Lord in Macedonia, which is where Philippi and, uh, and, and those churches were, were sending him support. And so that's the background of where we are. Now, as we move forward, I want to touch one other thing, and, and I, honestly, this is really sad. I stood over here yesterday, uh, last Sunday with a sword in my hand and had no problem calling you guys fat, um, and, and, and now I'm, I'm nervous about talking about money, so this, that's really weird, but I want to slay another sacred cow while we're here. Paul is talking about, he says, I had learned during that time in his life to live with plenty and with nothing. He said, I, I learned no matter what or what's going on in my life to be content. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. That verse is not talking about how you can win a basketball game. 
Let me tell you how bad it can get twisted. My first or second Sunday here at North Glencoe, didn't know any of you, didn't know this place at all. I, was, I had preached, and I'd shaken a few hands, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, there's a guy back here in the back that's high or drunk or something. You need to go talk to him. And I'm like, oh, yippee. And so I go, go back to the back, and this guy was right back there in that area, right around where Richard Jones is sitting, and he was, he was kind of, you know, herky-jerky, and he's all, all this kind of stuff. And I went up and said, hey, I'm, I'm Tom Harrison. How are you? And he introduces himself, and he says, I, I, I want to, will you give me a baptismal robe? And I said, well, um, I don't own any baptismal robes. The church has some. Uh, what do you need it for? And he said, well, I'm going to walk to Israel. And I'm going to walk to where Jesus walked, and that's how I can learn what the Bible teaches. I'm going to walk to Israel, and I want to put that robe on, and I want to leave right now and walk to Israel. And I said, buddy, you got a body of water that's going to get in your way. But I think east is that way if you just want to hit it. You can't walk to Israel, man. And he said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me and stormed out. And I just stood there thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And we use language like this normally. If I were to say, hey, everybody's here so we can get started. In the context of what I'm saying, everybody's here. Nobody in this room would think he's saying that everybody on earth is in the room right now, right? You would look back and see what I was talking about beforehand so that you understood what everybody means. Well, in the context of what Paul is talking about, he's saying that I have learned whether I've got all the money in the world and I can go to the restaurant and buy whatever I want or whether I'm going, I think if we go hit the couch cushions, we might be able to go buy a half pound of bologna. That in both of those situations, I've learned to be content. And you know what? That's a lot harder than winning a football game. I struggle in that area. In fact, I struggle when things are going good. I got this. God, I don't need you. Why don't you call me? Why don't I hook up with you when there's some problems? And Paul is saying, I've learned that whether God's blessing me and everything's going right and I go out in the car, cranks, and I can get to work and the dishwasher's working, I'm content. If I walk out and I go to crank it and I hear click, 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 click. Or that, if you ever drove a Chrysler, it had that very distinct, oh dear Lord, please let this thing crank. And then, you learn that the $125 you don't have has to be spent on a starter. And then you go in and the dishwasher's dumping soap suds all in the floor. And you're like, honey, we got a new dishwasher. Allow me to introduce you to her. And you go to the washing machine and it don't work. Everything's broke. And so you get all that paid for and you got, all right, it's Wednesday. We get paid again in three weeks. So I hope we got some stuff in the freezer. And you struggle through those weeks. That in both of those situations, I can be content. That's a miracle, folks. And Paul is saying, I can do that. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. This is in the context of dealing whether I've got everything that I want or whether I got nothing. That I can be content. If I got everything I want, I'm not a jerk. I'm not a smart aleck. I'm not a know-it-all. I'm not a, hey, I got this thing covered. I'm up in the house and making it look good, folks. Whether I'm hungry, 
I know that both of those situations came from the hand of God. I put it off long enough, we've got to actually preach the sermon now. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's the heart of this text. All right, so here's, here's what he's saying. Giving to God is not just another bill. You see, we, it's really easy for me as the preacher to get up here and, and, and hammer you and beat up on you and tell you if you don't tithe, you don't love Jesus, and tithing become another line item in your monthly budget to the point that that's just... All right, we've got the power bill, we've got the cell phone bill this month, the right, this, out of this paycheck, and we got, the, oh yeah, we got the tithe, we got, and that just becomes another bill. And I don't want to do that to you. Here's the thing, and this is really the heart of it. When we become a Christian, we say, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus can't be the Lord of some area of your life and not other areas. If Jesus isn't the Lord over all the areas of your life, he's not the Lord of your life. We were talking in, in Sunday school. Men are compartmentalized. We, it's really easy for us to go, okay, here's my church thing that I'm doing. This is my church gig, and I'm doing it well. Here's my family thing, and then here's my work thing. If Jesus is the Lord, he's got to be Lord of your church thing, your work thing, your family thing, your marriage thing. He's got to be Lord of it all, right? If I go to, I've used this example before. If on my wedding day, my beautiful bride is standing right here. I'm standing right here. The preacher's standing up here. And I leaned over to my wife and say, honey, I love you. I am walking away from three billion other women that are in this world. You were the only one for me except one other. I mean, two billion, two, uh, 999,999, I am completely away from. It's just you and this one other. Would she have still married me? It's just one Right? Would any of you women gotten married under those circumstances? I just got one other girlfriend. Well, we can't come to God and say, you can have all of my life except the money. That's mine. I earned it. Who do you think you are anyway? So Paul is flipping the idea here of our money from it being something that's mine and I'm paying out bills. I paid the power company. I pay, and here's God. Here's your part. Here you go, God. Take your part. And he's saying, all of your life is God's. And so money is an opportunity. It's a tool in my hand to draw on more blessings. What he says to them is, Not that I seek the gift, but he's like, I don't want just your money. I'm not just looking for you to give to me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
What he's saying is, is Paul is saying, I want you to give because the more we give, the more blessed you will be. Now, lest you think that I have lost my mind, I am not saying that if you put $100 in the offering plate today, God's going to give you 1000 I am not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that you can't outgive God. And that if your money becomes all his, that giving can become a joy. That seeing God use the money that you earned to help others, to help other ministry, can be something that's exciting. It can be a joy. It can be a fruit-bearing thing. See, this is why I shouldn't wear suits in here. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also, can be both a warning and a promise. That if I pour my life out into his work, that's where my heart's going to be. Do you see the difference in perspective? Instead of Paul saying, hey, you know what? If you don't give, God's going to smack you in the head. If you don't give, this, 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 this. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you receive to your credit the blessing for, because of how you gave. It's a shift in thought. And if you really think about it just a little bit. And I, this is an area where Tom Harrison struggled early in my Christian walk a good bit. I would say to myself, I worked two jobs to go to college. As David told me earlier, nobody was out there calling block with me. I'm the one that had the motivation to get up in the morning at 4 o'clock and go open a Chick-fil-A and then go to class all day and then that night go close a Taco Bell, which are both glamorous jobs, I'm telling you. I mean, you can't even have the dignity of saying you want fries with that at Taco Bell. I did that. Nobody else did that. I struggled and worked, and when my wife and I got married, we went for a month without hot water. I've worked hard. Every job that I've ever had, I could be there for three weeks, and I'll be the manager. I guarantee you, because I have got a work ethic, and I am a hard worker. So who do you think you are telling me what to do with my money? Do you see the flawed logic there? Mine, I, me. And who gave me the strength to get up at four o'clock in the morning? Who gave me the parents that taught me and gave me a work ethic? Who did make sure that that old beat up 67 Dodge truck that I could never find a starter for and I always had to park on top of a hill? Ran it just about every time. You see, everything that I had was a gift from God. It was all His. And in my life, it took me getting into a situation where I got laid off from a job and couldn't get a job. And so I was in a situation where I was going around after having owned my own company, was going around and putting applications in at 40 years old at a Hardee's and a Burger King because I just needed to make the mortgage payment. And that will humble you, man. When you're coming up on Christmas and you don't know that you can buy your kids a present and it isn't because you're a bum and it isn't because you're lazy. It's just because that's just the way the circumstances worked out. 
You realize that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And the ability to work is a gift. And so when you get to that position and you realize in humility that everything that I've got came from God, it can be a joy to give back to him. And so that perspective shift is what Paul is looking for here. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I am not sitting here preaching what you must do. I've said it a hundred times from this pulpit. I am nobody in this room's mama. I am nobody in this room's Holy Spirit. But if you don't realize that every penny that God gives you can either be used to glorify you or Him, and I'm not saying that you got to give it to the church. You can glorify God by taking care of your family. But I'm saying that every dollar that you get, you make a choice of who you glorify with it. And you know what, if you really think about it, everything that comes into your life is that way, isn't it? We choose. Paul said whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to God's glory. And if we can shift that change in perspective, if we can realize that God loves a cheerful giver, then we can realize that the investment that I make, the money that I give to him, there'll be an eternal reward for that. The money that I spend on me, on stuff, the Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures not on earth that moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. I'm begging you. I'm asking you. Look at your money Look at every aspect of your life, but it's specifically money because it's such a dangerous area. And say, God, how do you want me to glorify you with that money? Now, Paul ends this section and says this. God will supply every needs of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul is telling this Philippian church, you gave to my ministry so that I could continue preaching the gospel. And this sounds to me almost like a reminder because it's in the past tense. God took care of you, didn't he? Every believer in here has had those moments when you stepped on faith and did something that God was calling you to do and God provided. I love the way Mark Driscoll put it. We have a lot of faith in the rearview mirror when we look back at what God's done, we go, man, God did that, 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 and that was awesome. We have very little faith in the windscreen. It's hard for us to look forward and do that. So as we come to a time of invitation, I want you to realize that the reason why, I mean, I do, I struggle. I've struggled all week with preaching this sermon. I do not want you to think that I'm up here saying, if you really love God, if you do what he's called you to do, you're going to give money to my ministry. I want you to realize that if you are a follower of Christ, that everything that we get, our time, our money, 
our influence, our families. It's all his. And we should glorify him with that. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the resources that you've given us. God, I pray that you would forgive me for having so often an attitude that says, look what I did. God, I pray that you would help me to be the man of God in this area that you've called me to be. Lord, I pray that your spirit would apply your word to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.